0: Welcome, Irish fans to another edition of the Opponents Insider Podcast. I'm your host Vince D'Addario and I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. Of course Notre Dame is coming off a convincing 31-17 victory over North Carolina and that game took place on Friday uh, which is obviously strange for Notre Dame fans who normally play on a Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend out in California but they were uh down in North Carolina, but got the win 31-17 to up their record from to 9 and 0. Oh. There's a ton to talk about when it comes to that game, and you can find it all over on IrishBreakdown.com as well as our podcasts over on Soundwise. But today we are turning our attention to the Orange of Syracuse. It is a 230 kickoff at Notre Dame Stadium, and you can find that game, of course over on NBC. It will be the final home game of the season, and therefore it will be senior day for the Irish. But since this is a free year for everyone, who knows who's really leaving and who is staying, and that'll be a conversation for another time. But make sure you log into IrishBreakdown.com prior to, during, and after the game for updates and analysis. But with me today to talk about the Syracuse Orange is Michael McAllister. He is the publisher and editor at Syracuse Orange at SI, which of course is part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Mike, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. It's great to have you. Take, thanks for taking the time. Uh, it's always uh, interesting to scratch out the time to do one of these, and uh, I'm glad that you were able to do that. So thank you for joining us. Um, let, let's let's talk about Syracuse as a whole. Um, obviously, it hasn't been a a super successful season, but you know Dino Babers uh, has been there for a little bit. What is the what would you say is the status of the program going into this game? Kind of where things uh, w- where things are for Syracuse.
1: Well, there's there's kind of uh, mixed um, emotions, I guess, uh, amongst the fan base now. The administration seems to have Dino Babers back and they have already committed that he's coming back next season, but there is a chunk of the fan base that thinks it hasn't worked with Dino Babers. That experiment should be over. They should move on and and go in another direction. I'm not necessarily on that bandwagon, but there is, there are those that are out there. Uh, now, for perspective, I think every fan base has a certain faction of it that thinks that the head coach should be fired. There are those that think that Nick Saban should be fired from Alabama as ludicrous as that sounds. So, um, you take that a little bit with a grain of salt, but you also look at what, what the facts are. And the facts are that they had the 10 win season a couple of years ago. And other than that, they've had a losing season each year. Now this year it, there's some, factors I think that are beyond the control of a head coach like I'm not sure which head coach cross country take whichever guy you like whether it's Brian Kelly at Notre Dame or whether it is Nick Saban or whoever it is that you like as, as your favorite coach or you think is the best coach in the country and put them as the head coach at Syracuse then take the talent that Syracuse had to begin with then take your top two running backs they opt out You have massive injuries across the offensive line to the point where you have to take a fullback and convert him to a guard. You lose two quarterbacks during the season. And so you're starting a true freshman for multiple games. And then you have the three starting safeties that you began the year with, one of which was an All-American and was the NCAA's active leader in interceptions and was pushing Syracuse's all-time interceptions record. And they all get injured. Two of them opt out and decide to head to the NFL. So Syracuse has dealt with massive injuries, opt outs, etc, that has depleted a team that didn't have significant depth to begin with. So all of that said, Babers has mentioned that he thinks that there should be an asterisk on this season. I tend to agree with him from a Syracuse perspective. There's not going to be an asterisk. If Notre Dame goes out and win a national championship, that's a national championship for them for Syracuse. It's obviously quite different. And I think you kind of throw this season away. You look at what they do next year and that's kind of how you judge Dino Babers. You know, if, if you look at his first two years, four and eight, four and eight, all of a sudden you shoot up to 10 and two, you lose some of your better players, including your quarterback Eric Dungy. You drop down to five and seven. You throw this year out. You get to a bowl game next year, and I think you still feel pretty good about where the where the program is headed. So there's there's some mixed things there, some to be determined there. Um, but I think those that are saying um, it's time to move on and go in another in another direction, I think that's a, a little bit of a panic move at this point, and there should be some patience.
0: Well, and looking at the schedule, I mean, there's been some bright spots on this schedule. Obviously, I mean, almost get you know, almost getting Boston College, who's a pretty good program on the rise, I would say. Almost getting NC State last week, uh, I would say that would have been a great win if they were able to pull that one off. So, I mean, th- th- there's been some games where they've been right there, they just haven't been able to put
1: it over the top. Absolutely. And if you look at their first two games, when they played North Carolina in week one, that was a close game going. That was a one score game going in right. the the quarter their game against Pittsburgh. They had a lead um, at one point and that was ended up being 21 to 10, but that was a one score game in the fourth quarter. They had um, Clemson. It was the first game uh, this season that Clemson was not ahead by double digits the entire second half. it was, a one score game late third quarter Syracuse had the ball with a chance to take the lead. Now Clemson ends up, um, you know, getting a, a scoop and score and then sort of ran away from them in the fourth quarter. But for almost three quarters, Syracuse was extremely competitive with that team. And they, they went into that game as about 40 point underdogs. So they've, they've had some moments where they've competed and you see where some of their young talent has the potential to develop and and become a, a pretty good team. But, Again, when you have the issues that they've had at quarterback, their offensive line last year struggled when it was healthy, and then this year it hasn't been healthy, and you take away some of your better players, including an All-American safety, it's hard to overcome that when you're Syracuse, you don't have a four-star, five-star guy behind those players waiting to to plug and play, and you rely on strength and conditioning and player development as opposed to recruiting some of those elite-level athletes. So, you know, again, they've been competitive in some of those games. I think if they're fully healthy and pull off one or two of those, it's probably a completely different discussion. Mm -hmm. But reality is they didn't. They only have one win. It's gonna be only the second time in school history that they finished the season with, with only one win. And the other time was during the Greg Robinson era. And we know that was one of the worst in college football history. So um, there's gonna be some that make that comparison. My big thing whenever I've been asked is those Greg Robinson teams were fully healthy and were that bad, this team is not. So to me, it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but I understand that fans are frustrated. Uh, I, I just think there needs to be patience because you have seen some development from some young players this year that should help you going into next year.
0: Now, I, I, Before we jump into you know this year's team and, and what they're going to bring to the table on Saturday at Notre Dame Stadium, I, I noticed on your site uh, that you did a deep dive into the 2021 class. So I, I wanted to ask uh, kind of a... Just an overall question about recruiting. How has Coach Babers done on the recruiting trail? What is, you know, where's the trajectory with him as a recruiter? Is it pointed in the right direction? I mean, is he headed in the right direction with with the recruiting classes at
1: Syracuse? So fans are always obsessed with stars, right? They they always want to know. And even though, you know, at Sports Illustrated, on Sports Illustrated All-American, we don't do stars, um, but we still get ask that question. You know, why isn't Syracuse getting more four-stars, etc.? Well, when you compare previous regimes to the Dino Babers era, they were not getting four-stars consistently. Dino Babers in every recruiting class except for one has had at least one four-star and has had a couple where he's had multiple. Now, he's not getting five, six, seven, eight of those guys, but he's getting one or two. And when you're trying to build your program from the bottom up and you don't have that recruiting base right in your backyard, upstate New York football is not great. And there's maybe one division one prospect every handful of years. So you can't build your program off of that. So at Syracuse, you are trying to become in the conversation with some of those four star athletes. And when you can get a couple of them every year, that helps you build your depth when you're not in a pandemic and you don't have significant injuries. So, um, but, Here's where the 2021 recruiting class stands. Syracuse hasn't had a class that's been ranked in the 40s, so inside the top 50, in over a decade. They're ranked 47th right now if you look at 247 sports composite, which is the average of all the services, right? So despite the fact that they've got one win, they've had ranking wise, arguably the best recruiting class under Dino Babers and the best recruiting class they've had in over a decade. So that tells you a couple of things. One, the recruits are still buying into the direction of the program. They still believe in the systems that Syracuse is running and they still believe in Dino Babers and the relationships they've developed with those coaches. And that's part of the other reason why I say there needs to be some patience among the faction of the fan base that wants to get rid of them. No, it makes a lot
0: of sense. And that's why I because. You know, it's more than just what coaches do, you know, on Saturdays. It's it's also about what they're bringing into the program in the first place. So absolutely I wanted to get an idea of kind of where, you know, Syracuse was with that. And I, I saw you just did a story. So it was perfect timing, but uh, so yeah, fans go, go check out that story because uh, it, it looked pretty interesting when I was perusing through it. So um, you mentioned the the quarterback situation at Syracuse and it's kind of been a revolving door for you know the reasons that you will outline uh but what is the quarterback
1: situation going into Saturday's game so the the guy who started the season uh for Syracuse was Tommy DeVito and he got injured against in their loss to Duke and hasn't been back since um the the reporting and and what we have heard from from sources that we talked to is that it was a broken ankle but there hasn't been an official word on that. And they haven't, they still haven't officially declared him out for the season, but, um, he's not ready to go. He hasn't been practicing. He's not going to be available in this game. Rex Culpepper is his backup. He is a senior. He's been in the program for, um, I believe five years. Now he is a cancer survivor. So he's a great story. Um, earlier this season actually went, even when DeVito was still healthy, DeVito went out for a very short period of time in, in their week two game against Pittsburgh. And while DeVito was out, Culpepper threw a touchdown pass, and it was the first touchdown touchdown of Syracuse's season. And that actually made SportsCenter and ESPN, et cetera, because <laughs> of the cancer story and the feel-good nature of it. Um, so he's an inspirational story as a quarterback. He's very limited. Um, his accuracy is a bit erratic. His deep ball is okay, um, not great. But um, he doesn't have a lot of, of arm strength, especially on the short to intermediate routes. It takes, mo- takes a while for those balls to get there. But the coaching staff feels more comfortable with him than they do the true freshman behind him because they feel like more of the playbook is available because of his knowledge of the offense. And the offense has performed better when he's been in there as opposed to um, the freshman. Now, the freshmen that are behind him, Jacoby and Morgan, has gotten a couple of starts. He was a quarterback when they were competitive against Boston College, but they couldn't sustain enough offense. That really wasn't because of him. He had several drops in that game that really hurt him and and killed some drives. But he's, he's a guy who you like some of the potential that you see from him. He flashes every once in a while of making a really nice throw and a good decision, but he's clearly not ready yet. The other freshmen is Dylan Markowitz, a kid from Texas, who we haven't seen thrown a pass in a game at all this year. When he's been in there, he just handed the ball off. So we don't know much of anything about him, but I think who you're gonna see on Saturdays, you're gonna see Rex Culpepper, and he's gonna play basically the entire game, barring some sort of injury. Gotcha, gotcha. It's not overly surprising to see a coaching staff
0: go with the guy that has you know, more of a knowledge of the offense, allows them to potentially do more, uh, that- you know, veteran leadership, all the, all the, all of that. We, we see it all the time at Notre Dame. That's for sure. Um, but uh, let's go to uh, who he is going to be handing the ball off to the, the running game. You said the top two guys opted out, which obviously is not a good sign uh, when you're trying to put together a run game. Uh, but it appears that uh, Sean Tucker has kind of taken the reins as the lead back uh, for Syracuse. Uh, Who besides, well, first of all, what is Tucker like as a back? And then who else uh, will be taking handoffs in the backfield?
1: And and not only did those top two guys uh, opt out, but then the player who was supposed to be the starter without those guys is Jawar Jordan, who's more of a a speedster type of a back. And he got hurt early in the season and hasn't (laughs) been back. So Sean Tucker is really their fourth running back. Wow. And he actually missed a, a game or two. And they ended up having to go to their fifth running back Cooper Lutz at, at one point. Wow. So again, more with injuries and and opt-outs and how far down the depth chart they're getting. Now, the good news is with Tucker, he really has emerged as one of their better offensive weapons this season. You know, he was averaging four and a half to five yards a carry. Um, he's had a couple hundred yard rushing games, been in the end zone a handful of times. So he's, he's had a, a pretty solid freshman season. He's a balanced back. You know, he's not a burner. He's not a, pure power back, but he's kind of a good at both. Not great at either Um, can catch a little bit out of the backfield as well. He has great vision. His footwork is really good. And when their run blocking has been solid, you know, he finds the hole he can get to the second level. He can make a play and then he is tough to bring down. He does run uh, really hard. So he's, he's a good player. I think the potential for him is, is really, really high and he's been one of their more consistent offensive weapons. When the running game has been going, and it hasn't gone a lot this season, but when it has, it's been because he's been running the ball well and doing some of those things. So, uh, Cooper Lutz behind him is more of a scat back. He's more of a um, one-cut-and-go, you know, quick, shifty type of a guy and, and better in terms of being a receiver out of the backfield. But you know, he's not going to run anybody over. Um, he, he's not going to be the guy that you want to give to on a third and one to try to power into a pile and move it forward. He's not that type of guy. Sean Tucker is going to be the guy that you're going to give the ball to in those situations.
0: One well, and, and only three touchdowns on the ground for Syracuse so far this season. And they're all for Tucker just yes. to give, just to give fans an idea of what the run game is able to produce as far as, you know, points uh, is concerned, all three attributed to Tucker. So he, he's the guy in the red zone as well.
1: Yeah, he is. And again, the running game hasn't been great when Jawar Jordan was in there early in the season before Tucker really emerged. Um, you know, he wasn't all that productive. Now Cooper Lutz did have a, a solid game when uh Tucker was out. Um, but when he's been in there in reserve, you know, most most of the action has gone to Tucker. So Lutz is kind of mixed in a little bit here and there, but hasn't been out there a ton. Um, but you know, one of the things that made them good a couple of years ago in 2018 was eric dungy's ability to make plays with his legs from the quarterback position they called uh you know quarterback draws and quarterback off tackle power runs and, and things of that nature mm-hmm. they don't have a guy on the roster that they can do those things with so you haven't seen that part of the playbook and i think that's really hurt them especially in a year when they've had so many issues with injuries and struggling to move the ball and you know on a third and four third and five um struggling to to keep drives alive well, when you have an offensive line that, that has injury issues and isn't performing well, you don't have a consistent running game and you're down to your third quarterback. If that third quarterback can't make plays with his feet, you know, that that it hurts your your offense's ability to sustain drives. And so that's kind of what you've seen. But um, Tucker's going to be key for them, I think, on Saturday because they got to try to keep Rex Culpepper out of third and eight, third and nine, and third and ten situations. Now,
0: from a receiving standpoint, you know, only three touchdowns uh, from a rushing standpoint, but 14 receiving. So, you know, I guess you can kind of tell where the success has been when there's been success for this offense. It's been in the passing game. um, And there's, you know, multiple guys with a good amount of touchdowns. Uh, You know, Taj Harris has five, uh, Nikeem Johnson has four, uh, and then a couple other guys with a pair. So, uh, who are the major weapons here for uh, the Syracuse
1: pass game? It's it's Taj Harris. He's he's the clear number one guy. He's a guy who um can make plays in their intermediate routes and then he's the guy that you want to target in those short routes to try to make a play with yards after catch that's kind of his specialty is catching those two to three yard passes or even bubble screens and then making a guy miss and picking up six seven eight nine yards those type of things Um, he had a fantastic game last week against nc state well over 100 yards um had a touchdown he's he's a dynamic player one of their best offensive weapons Mm -hmm. the other guy nike johnson that you mentioned He's very hit and miss. Last week is a prime example of that. He had one catch for 60 yards and a touchdown. Hmm. I mean, that that he's not a guy that's going to catch five, six, seven passes, but if you're not careful, he is a speedster. He has elite speed. Uh, He's also their punt returner. So um, he's a guy that if you're not paying attention, if you've got one-on-one coverage and you don't have help over the top, Syracuse is going to try to take a shot with him and, and he's been successful at that. That's where, All of his touchdowns have come have come on those deep passes so um, again not someone they're going to target eight to ten times a game that's going to go to taj harris Um, and then anthony queely on the other side has has come on the second half of the season being a little bit more consistent but he's not a guy that they're going to throw to downfield he's more of the short intermediate um, possession type of receiver but you know he's he's a good player and someone that, that you have to pay attention to uh, the tight ends, they don't really throw the ball to, they haven't all season. And that's been a frustration among fans. And I can tell you, as someone who covers the team, um, it's a little bit baffling as to why they don't target those guys. Aaron Hackett is a, is a solid tight end, someone that you can target over the middle, but it's the other guy that I'm surprised really hasn't seen much much action in the passing game, Luke Benson, because he is a fast player as a tight end. Um, and he's put on some weight. He showed last year as a true freshman that he is that he can be a really dynamic weapon as a pass catching tight end. You can move him out in the slot, you can line him up as a traditional tight end, you can even move him outside if you're in the red zone. And they haven't targeted him much at all this season. His statistics are you wouldn't even think that he's playing really most of the time. Um, Aaron Hackett, I think, has one or two touchdowns on the year, but again, he hasn't had a lot of targets. Um, it's, it's startling with the issues that they've had offensively with the quarterbacks that they've gone through that they haven't tried to use the tight end a little bit more, but I I would be stunned if all of a sudden this week, you know, the tight ends are getting a ton of targets. So I, I think they have the potential to be some of Syracuse's best weapons, but they're just not being used so far this year.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. We we keep looking for offenses to evolve and, and change. And once you get to this time of year, it's like, it's like it is what it is at this point. You know what I mean? It's, Absolutely. Which can be very frustrating uh, to a fan base and, and people who cover the team because uh, definitely feel the same way with certain aspects of Notre Dame's offense, but that's another podcast for another time. <laughs> um, <laughs> last part of the offense. Let's talk about the offensive line. Uh, you mentioned in your open, that a fullback was moved to guard which blows my mind that that is something that they were that they had to do because of depth issues uh just
1: what's up with the offensive line where are we at with these guys well and the funny thing is is so chris Elmore's his name and he has played fullback tight end defensive line and offensive line during his time at syracuse um he is one of the most selfless players that I have covered in the decade plus I've been covering Syracuse football. He never complains. He just says, "Whatever you need me to do, I'll go out and do it." You need me to be a quarterback. They've had quarterback issues. He'd go out and play it and, and give you everything he's got. Um, so he's he's an easy kid to root for. Um, at one point during the season, three four games in, he was their highest-rated offensive lineman by Pro Football Focus which which tells you two things one it tells you where the offensive line is in terms of its level of play that's but it fair. also tells you i think it's it's a nod to chris elmore and the effort that he put in i mean he did have all training camp to, to practice there um but he's he's kind of moved out of that now because they've got a couple of, of guys back um dakota davis has has slid in he was the guy that's supposed to be the starting guard and he's come back and so the last um uh, Last couple of games, he's been available, and then he started against NC State, and Elmore moved back to his fullback, H-back type of a role. Um, so I'm not sure you'll see him in offensive line this year, but uh, or I'm sorry, this week. But um, he's he's been there, and he's actually held up pretty well. The center position is Carlos Veterello, who is has um, been very up and down this season. At times he looks like, you know, he's starting around in the form. And then other times he gets blown up and gives up pressure right up the middle um, whether it's in pass protection or on, on a design run play, the tackles um, Aaron service, who comes in, who was supposed to be their best offensive lineman. He was a starting tackle last year in the 2018 season. He was their starting center on that team and he's moved out to tackle he's been battling injuries, even though it hasn't been publicized all season. And so he's maybe at 50 to 60% of what he really should be. And that's hurt his, his um, production on the field. He's been giving up um, a lot of free rushes, especially with, um, you know, speedy edge, edge rushers is, is really struggled with that. Um, The other tackle is a Canadian prospect, Matthew Bergeron, who is a sophomore. He started the last half of last season as a true freshman and really came on and solidified the offensive line down the stretch of the season. He's, he's a quality player still growing, but um, is, is a a solid offensive lineman, ACC caliber offensive lineman, but it's really the interior that that's hurt them with pressure up the middle, not being able to run the ball. um, Dakota Davis helped a little bit last week but NC state stacked the box so much that they really didn't run the ball a ton. Um, so it's been very up and down, very inconsistent and they've had some massive struggles throughout the season, which have only hurt their ability to sustain offense.
0: So let's, let's flip the script and let's head over to the defensive side of the ball. This is a team that's giving up over 450 yards per game. Um, and obviously if you're giving up that many yards, there's some holes in there. Uh, I guess give me the overall – your overall feelings of the defense, and then we'll move into what you're seeing along the defensive line.
1: I think some of the bad statistics for the defense are a a lot of the blame you can put on the offense going three and out over and over and over again. And the defense wearing down over the courses of games. It's happened in – it happened against North Carolina where the defense was really good for three-plus quarters – and then just wore down because the offense kept going three and out and putting them back out there. Um, same thing against Pittsburgh. They were really good and then you know gave up a couple of scores late um, that cost them that game. Clemson, they were, again, good against Clemson for large stretches and then wore down, and, and Clemson just pounded them in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. That's kind of been the theme is that they force turnovers like crazy. They get pressure on the quarterback. Um, they They're starting three freshmen at safety a freshman at corner um, their linebackers are two freshmen and a sophomore. I mean, so they've got a lot of youth there, but mm-hmm. the three, three, five system has been very good for them. Again, they're number one in the nation in forced turnovers. They do get pressure on the quarterback. They have been competitive in almost every game, at least for the first half. I think the potential for this defense with coaching staff, that's done a tremendous job. Again, it's a brand new coaching staff, brand new system. They didn't have spring football because the pandemic canceled that they didn't have the same preparation time in terms of the off season program and training camp that they would have normally. And yet they have still been easily the best unit on the team. And they, they are a legitimate ACC caliber defense that you can win and be bowl eligible with at minimum. And at best, they're a team that can put you in the upper echelon, the defense that can put you in the upper echelon of the ACC because of their ability two forced turnovers the problem is they don't have an offense to complement it in order to you know pull out some wins that they probably should have if you have an average offensive line and an average quarterback with the rest of this team I think they're sitting at four or five wins at least right now
0: hmm. well yeah so that, I mean the defense just on the field too long is what it sounds like to me and they, they get really tired and they're young and some of those young guys probably aren't used to this long of a season and right. it's a weird season to begin with anyway so Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so so, let's start up front, uh, defensive line. What, who are the standouts there on the defensive line?
1: Josh Black is, is the first guy I think of. Um, he's a senior. We don't know if he's going to come back next year or not, but, um, he was a starting defensive tackle in the previous scheme. And then they moved him outside to defensive end this year. Um, he's, he's a good player. He's not a speed rusher by any means, but he's strong at the point of attack, really good against the run. Um, McKinley Williams in the middle as as the defensive tackle um, is is a solid player, disruptive, um, can get into the backfield, and then Kingsley Jonathan is is the other guy um, at the other end spot that is one of the better guys off the field, very involved in the community and and things of that nature, but um, also a pretty good football player. He's long, uh, but they're not in 2018. Part of the reason that their defense was so good. Um, they set sack records at Syracuse was because they had Alton Robinson, who's now with the Seattle Seahawks, and Kendall Coleman, who um, was with the Indianapolis Colts in their training camp this this past season. Uh, They had those guys as their defensive ends who both had 10 sacks. The guys that they have there now, they're all solid players, but they're not that level of dynamic athlete, you know, NFL type of a guy. So um, they've got good players up there. They don't have great players up there. Well,
0: and, and, and this front, at least the front seven, 24 sacks on the season, that's, you know, two and a half sacks, a ball game is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that's, that's a decent, that's a decent job of getting after the quarterback. Um, and, And they also have 26 quarterback hurries. So, I mean, this team appears to be getting in the backfield. It's just a matter of the the
1: problem that they're on the field too long. Yes, absolutely. And part of that with pressuring the quarterback is not only those defensive linemen, but they do like to blitz. Sure. And then I mentioned that two of their linebackers, uh, of their starting linebackers are freshmen, and one of their key reserves is also a freshman. Um, Stephon Thompson, Marlo Wax, and Stephen Linton. Those three guys are all going to play a lot of snaps. And those are three guys that Syracuse likes to blitz with quite a bit. Um, so they've been really good at pressuring quarterbacks, making quarterbacks go into sacks, whether it's them getting them or running into another player. Um, and those are their more dynamic pass rushers, the, guy that, the guys that you look at and say they're not just good players, but great players or have the potential to become great players. Um, it's really those guys, I think, that, that have the most ability and, and are the best speed rusher types.
0: Now this secondary running a three three five means the majority of the time you've got five guys in the secondary uh, at a time. What does this secondary look like uh, against you know some of the more elite passing games like like uh, a Syracuse? I'm excuse me,
1: like a Clemson. So again, their, their corners are really what make the whole thing go. It's been Garrett Williams, who's been one of the better corners in the ACC all season. Um, for a while was leading the nation in targets without giving up a touchdown. I believe mm. that ended last week against NC State, um, although he claims that it was offensive pass interference on the play, but <laughs> wasn't called. Um, and then Efetu uh, Melifon, on the other side, is a junior, but he's long, very physical, and, and he's been pretty good in coverage as well. So Syracuse uses those guys, leaves them out on the island a lot, and they've been really good on, on outside receivers for most of the year where the issue has been is covering the slot. Uh, Thayer Thomas at NC State last week had three touchdowns. They couldn't cover him. And, And that's been an issue all season is covering the slot receiver. And part of that is because, as I mentioned earlier, they've had injuries at the safety position. One of those is Trill Williams, who is kind of a hybrid safety corner linebacker, does a lot of things for him. One of the things he does is he covers the slot receiver a lot. Well, you take out a guy who is a junior, one of your defensive leaders and most talented defensive players, and you replace him with a freshman who's smaller, much less experienced. And, you know, the coaches like a lot in terms of his potential, but obviously you're losing a lot when you make that switch. And teams have exploited that quite a bit. And that's when they've given up big plays in the passing game. More often than not, it's been – either the tight end over the middle or the slot receiver down the field. The, the, that's really been where the struggles are. Now, the the guy that's come in for Trill, Trill Williams, his name is Amon Greenwood, and he's really the guy that teams have picked on. The other safeties that have filled in for um, Andre Sisco, who's the All-American I mentioned earlier, and Eric Coley, who was um, the third starter when the season began, are Robert Hanna and Jihad Carter, both true freshmen, both have had some really strong moments. In fact, in their first starts of the season, both of them had an interception. Um, so they've had some really good moments. They're big hitters. They have a lot of confidence, a lot of swag. They they definitely play with that with a little bit of, of an edge. Um, but again, don't have that experience and sometimes can be pulled out of position. Um, so, you know, th- there's a little bit of a step down, but you feel like the experience that they're gaining this year is going to help them quite a bit next year.
0: Well, I mean, you've mentioned at least four freshmen on the defense that are playing a significant role, maybe even five off the top of my head. So uh, a lot of youth, which means a lot of growth this year for and potentially good
1: things to come in the future, right? That's what the hope is. And then (laughs) one of their more dynamic defensive players as well has been uh, Mikel Jones, who's their starting middle linebacker. Um, He's tied for the, the, um ACC lead and in interceptions as a mm-hmm. linebacker he's also forced some fumbles recovered some fumbles gotten after the quarterback he's a playmaker he's probably their best playmaker without Andre Cisco and true Williams in the lineup he's their best playmaker left and um, he's been really good this season he's a sophomore so um there's a lot of optimism about what the defense can be in the next couple of years assuming all those guys stick around and develop as you hope that they do
0: oh for sure Hey, let's turn our attention to the kick game. I was looking at some of the statistics from the kickers, 45 and a half, 45 yard average from the punter Cooney and the field goal kicker. I'm going to butcher this last name. It's Andre. Is it smite? Is it that easy? It's Schmidt Schmidt. Well, I see. There you go. Yes. He's nine of 11 on field goals. I mean, that's over 80%. So the kicking game I would say is a plus right now for this team.
1: Yeah, they've been really good on special teams, actually, every year that Dino Babers has been there. And uh, Justin Lustig is the assistant coach who's in charge of special teams, has done a tremendous job with with that unit. Um, Schmidt, two years ago, as a freshman, when when Sir was the Lou Groza award winner, he actually flirted with the national record for most field goals made in a season, didn't quite get there. Um, and Last year didn't have nearly as many attempts and that hurt his ability to defend his Lou Groza award, but um, he's been tremendously accurate um, the last three years and they, you know, they'll throw him out there. uh, About 50 to 51 yards is probably his max, but uh, you know, he's been extremely accurate um, his entire career and Nolan Cooney. So is as down as the Syracuse football program has been over the last decade or so, one position that really hasn't been is punter. (laughs) And some people will laugh and say, well, it's punter, but at the same time it's important because you can flip field position. Absolutely. And the punters that they've gone through were uh, several years ago was a guy named Rob Long, who um, if he had not had during his senior season um, about with brain cancer that he survived, um, I think he would have had a legit shot in the NFL. He still had a couple of tryouts. After that, you went to Riley Dixon, who is the New York Giants starting punter right now. And then you transitioned from him to Sterling Hoffrichter, who is the Atlanta Falcons starting punter right now. (laughs) And then you take that from there. Now you've got Nolan Cooney, who has been one of the best punters in the ACC this year. So they've had... Guy after guy after guy who's been highly productive at that position. Uh, their coverage units on special teams are really good. They have they have a couple of guys in uh, Trevor Pena, Pena, who's a freshman kick returner, who had a 98-yard return last week against NC State for a touchdown. Nikean Johnson, who's had some big returns this year, um, had a touchdown, but it was called back against North Carolina. Um, their special teams units have been really good all season and has been one of the biggest strengths of the team.
0: So when, when Syracuse makes the trip up to South Bend on Saturday, uh, number one, are you going to be there or are, uh, are you going to make the trip? Okay. That's surprising in this day and age. <laughs> uh, I have made zero trips myself. Uh, but in your opinion, what would you consider a su- some keys to what you would consider a successful day for Syracuse
1: up in South Bend? Obviously an upset win would be highly successful. Absolutely. Uh, no doubt. If, if you're being realistic... Um, I would kind of follow the um model of what they did against Clemson, which is you are competitive for about three quarters and you have the ball at some point in the second half with a one-score game with a chance to tie or take the lead. And even if Notre Dame ends up pulling away and winning by three plus touchdowns, you were competitive for a large portion of that game. The team shows energy and fight, continues to play hard for their for their head coach. Um, I think if those things happen you feel pretty good given all the situations and, and circumstances we've discussed uh, going into next season. And, and you can point to some of those things when you're talking to recruits and and looking at building momentum for next year.
0: And what does that look like on the offense? I mean, is it going to be a successful day through the air, maybe establishing a run game? I mean, in your, what, what does that look like to you in order to keep the game, keep the end close and competitive?
1: I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to sustain drives against Notre Dame. Notre Dame's defense one of the best in college football. I've seen them a few times. Uh, they're, they're really good at all three levels. And I think if Syracuse is going to score points, it's going to be on hitting Nikeem Johnson on a 50, 60, 70-yard mm-hmm. touchdown pass. It's getting a turnover on defense and starting at first and goal and cashing in on that. I don't think you're going to see a 13-play, 72-yard drive from Syracuse against Notre Dame. I just don't see it happening. So I think Syracuse's best way to score Is perhaps getting a special teams touchdown, getting a turnover that gives you great field position deep in Notre Dame territory, and then hitting the big play once or twice to try to get some points on the board.
0: No, makes a lot of sense. That's that I, in my opinion, that's where Notre Dame has been susceptible in the past is to the big play. So um, it'll be interesting because what does Syracuse have to lose at this point, you right. know, come in, you know, throw, throw stuff up against the wall, see what happens and try to walk out of there with an upset win. So uh, Mike, I want to thank you for joining me on the opponent's insider podcast today. Why don't you let everybody uh, know your Twitter handle, uh, how they can
1: follow your work. My Twitter handle is at McAllisterMike1. And then you can find our site's Twitter account is at SyracuseOnSI. Um, I'm on Instagram at Mike underscore McAllister. Um, and then our Facebook page is Facebook.com syracuseonsi Syracuse on SI. And of course, we are um, all Syracuse.com on the Sports Illustrated Network where we'll have uh, coverage from the Syracuse perspective.
0: Excellent. Again, that is Michael McAllister, who is the publisher and editor at Syracuse Orange at SI, which is part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And with the news that recently came out, uh, the next game on Notre Dame's schedule after Saturday is going to be the ACC championship, which will be on December 19th. That Wake Forest game uh, was canceled. So Notre Dame has punched their ticket to the ACC championship game. Uh, we will obviously cover that game. It'll be down in Charlotte uh with, against an opponent to officially be named later. but we all can assume that that's going Clemson. to be Clemson Yeah. Uh, I guess that there's if Clemson loses, then Miami would take that spot but you know we'll see if that actually happens. uh but uh again, that rematch with the Clemson Tigers and we'll talk about that game in a couple of weeks. So until then, thanks for joining me on the Opponents Insider Podcast.